Welcome back to What the Fertility. Today we have with us Jessica Hood, who has struggled with infertility for the last three years. Not only did she face a PCOS diagnosis, but they quickly identified that they were going to struggle with male factor infertility due to testicular varicocele. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for being with us today. Clearly, I can't pronounce that. So hopefully you can share a little bit into what that diagnosis looks like and what it meant for you guys on your journey. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I know in, um, you kind of shared with Amanda and I, and Amanda's not on today, but you shared with us that this all started in 2019. Is that correct? So yes. are we on, are we almost at four years? 19? Yeah, it'll be four years. I think officially hold on. Yeah. Like the end of this year will be four years. I think. Oh, goodness. So do you want to kind of take listeners back to the very beginning and me too? Cause I don't know too much about your story. Yeah. So we got married in January of 2019. My husband's name is Dylan. Um, and we'd been together for about five years before we got married. And so we kind of already discussed, like we knew we wanted at least two or three children. I was, he, he was 20, he had just turned 28 when we got married and I was almost 27. So it was like, we kind of knew we weren't going to wait too long, maybe like wait a year or something, but we, we knew it wouldn't be long before we started our family. Um, so that was January. So then in May I had the, uh, Nexplanon birth control and, um, I loved it by the way, I heard you guys talking about it recently and you said yeah. you never had it. So I loved it. I've heard that's, that's in your arm, right? Where they kind of yeah. just insert it under your skin. Yeah. yeah. And it lasts three years, which is like, for me, that's perfect. Like that's you never nice. think about anything. It was, I loved it. Um, looking back, maybe I, I shouldn't have loved it, but like, <laughs> I love having, like, I never had a period, which was not a good thing, but I loved it. Is that um, normal with the next one on? Uh, I don't really know. I don't know what's normal and what was just me at this point. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, but so that was going to expire in May for me. So I was like, I'm not going to get a new one because I'm not going to, it's not going to be three more years before we start trying to have children. So I went ahead and got it removed in May of 2019. And up until that point, like I said, I didn't really have like a normal menstrual cycle, which I thought was awesome. Like going through college, I was like, this is the best. Like yeah. <laughs> we're having a period. It was so cool. Um, but after I had it removed, I had, I feel like for maybe three or four months, I had like a period um, pretty regularly. Like it, they were probably pretty long cycles, but I wasn't tracking anything. I didn't really care. Like at that you point, were probably also like, okay, this is my body getting used to three years of yeah. nothing. Yeah. Because I was on birth control for like 10 years, like consistently, like, never. like the average, like the average 20, 30 year old nowadays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I think it was, I wrote some notes because there's so much, um, it was November of 2019. I like hadn't had a period for probably a couple, I think it was just like, it was a really long cycle. So I think it had been like 45 days or something. And I was like, naively like oh my gosh I'm totally pregnant like this is crazy like yeah. we, weren't, we weren't trying but we weren't like not trying so I was like wow that was that was awesome so I called my doctor like first of all I took a pregnancy test negative I took it for probably like who knows like a week like I was so naive at this point knowing how much I know it now to what I thought I knew then I'm like girl what That's how I was. I look back and I think the first month we started trying, I literally took a pregnancy test. Like, I think like the day before my period, wait, no, it was like the day after my period ended. Like, I don't, I had no idea. Right. Exactly. Like you just think this just happens. And then anyway, yeah. so I called my doctor and like, I still remember this conversation, the sweet woman on the phone. I was like, yeah, I need to like make an appointment to confirm pregnancy. And she was like, did you have a positive test? And I said, no. <laughs> No, I just, I'm definitely pregnant. Yeah, but like, you know, I definitely am. And she was like, okay, um, let's call it like, um, you know, just, what did she say? Menstrual cycle, something or other. I don't know. But anyway, so, so we made the appointment and I go in and I have the sweetest OBGYN. I love her so much. Um, and we're talking and she's like, okay, so and I start telling her a little bit about how long my cycle had been. And she's like, okay, well, you're definitely not pregnant. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> did they do an ultrasound at that point or she was just like, um, not pregnant. Like, a, like a urine test. At yeah. Um, and then she was like, but let's draw some labs and just kind of figure out what's going on with your cycle. So that was in November. 
And let's see. Oh, and she did give me some Provera at that appointment to kind of kickstart my cycle and figure out what the heck was going on. And so people, people not listening, that pretty much just like induces a, a, a menstrual period, right? Yes. And I am very familiar with that at this point. I was going to say, I bet now you're like, <laughs> yeah. sorry, now you probably know what, what exactly what it is. Yeah. So I took Provera, I started my cycle and then, um, she, I think I either went back in for my lab results or she called me. Um, but at this point I had heard of PCOS, but I, I was like, there's no way I have it. Like, cause I'm reading like the symptoms and it's like, um, just like none of it just felt like, like me. And so I was like, I probably don't have that. Like, it's probably just, you know, something else. And then I'm looking at my test results. And I remember I was at work one day and I pulled them up and I knew that one of like the main signs of it was like elevated testosterone. And so I look at my lab results and sure enough, like my testosterone was, it wasn't super high, but it was like higher than average, higher than normal. So I was like, oh, like, I guess I have this, like before you like start self-diagnosing, I know I just like yeah. that brought back so much PTSD for me when you said you, you looked them up at work because then yeah. you're just like spiral, spiral, Google, what do I have? Uh, I was, yes, it was bad. Um, but I did notice between coming off of my birth control in May and then November, I had gained like 15 pounds. And so that was kind of another thing that like clicked like, okay, this is, this is probably what's happening. Um, so December I went in cause she didn't want to, she didn't specifically diagnose me then. Cause I think they want to mark off like at least three, cause there's so many factors for PCOS. I think they say you have to have at least three of them to be considered like technically diagnosed. Yeah. We had a nurse practitioner on that works at, at a RE clinic. And she said the same thing. She said yeah. they, they mark off three. And I think one, is it normally like through ultrasound, like maybe counting follicles? Yes. So that was what I did next. So December, so we had testosterone was for sure. Um, I had like a little bit of like facial hair, but like, and I still do, but I was like, it didn't it seem normal to yeah. me. Chin hair every now and then, you know? Um, and then, so I went in December and had my first, my very first, which <laughs> I have so many under my belt now, um, transvaginal ultrasound. And I actually work in radiology. I, I'm an x-ray tech. So oh, awesome. I've seen ultrasounds before um, and I also, of course, by this point, I've done so much research on PCOS. And so the first thing I saw, like when they pulled up on the screen was just like, my ovaries were just covered in like, like a gumball lines. machine or something. Just tons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what it looked like. And I was like, all right, I guess this is it. So she finally officially diagnosed me with PCOS in December. Um, but we kind of made a plan that I was going to try to get my, like, clean up my diet, start to exercise. I knew I wanted to lose like some weight and try to just like naturally get myself. Cause I knew you could, like, I knew that was. Yeah. Awkward. Cause I think like before I even got married and tried to get pregnant, like friends would come to me and say, Oh, I have PCOS. It's going to be hard for me, us to get pregnant. And mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, me being naive, I didn't know at the time, but now that I know it is something that you could try to naturally control, or it's not something where you just have to go to IVF with. Right. Exactly. And so that's what's kind of my plan was, I was like, I want to try to control this with my diet, my exercise. And I, so immediately I ordered like four books, started listening to podcasts. Like I, I still listen to them. Um, but I learned a lot by doing that. Like, and, and so much of what I, my body had like experienced over the last six months was like making sense to me now. I was like, okay, well this, this is totally exactly what's happening. And I definitely have like the insulin resistance with the PCOS. That's what I wanted to ask you. So like, is there, I'm assuming there's a specific diet that they su suggest. So the way that I have kind of in, and I, you, depending on who you ask, people will say you, you, you need to be uh, gluten and dairy free. Or some people will say you don't need to be gluten and dairy free. And some people say you need to not eat carbs. And some people say you can eat carbs or definitely the biggest no, no is like your sugar. Like you just have to control it's because they call it like the diabetes of the ovaries. So you okay. kind of think of it as like, if you were diabetic, what diet makes sense so that you don't, your sugar aren't out of control. Sure. And I know it's so per person specific too, exactly. like with anything, even without PCOS. Yeah. yeah. Cause some people have PCOS and they don't have the insulin resistance. So like a lot of people have like what they call like a lean type of PCOS where you're super thin and you have completely other different issues. <laughs> I don't have that kind. 
I have where I know, and, and I, so unfortunately diabetes is genetic in my family. And so it's, that was one of my main concerns right away was I was like, this is already putting me at risk for diabetes. And I really don't, don't yeah. want to. So immediately I was like, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I cut out gluten and dairy right away. I think I just started, I was exercising and they tell you to do like a low impact type exercise, not to do the high intensity stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, clearly you're already like, okay, I'm going to tackle this. And this is something that I can fix. Let's move forward. I was so determined. I I mean, I lost 20 pounds between December and June. Wow. Like, Like I was so serious. Like I ate like chicken breast and avocado and everything. I was like, isn't it funny when the end goal is a baby, how like crazy serious you can get? Yes. Cause I would never like had a diet like that. So strict in my life before ever. So, okay. So then, so December we decided, cause we hadn't, it hadn't been a year yet, you know, and they, they say, come back when it's been a year and yeah. you've been trying. And, um, so I decided with my OBGYN, we would kind of wait till the summer, give it six more months, see if I can get myself back in check, get my body back where it, it may potentially be able to carry your pregnancy. Cause at this point we're thinking that was just our only issue PCOS. Uh, but, but again, we hadn't really started trying, trying mm-hmm. up until that point either. So it was like, let me just get myself where I need to be. And then we'll really start. And you feel like you have this, you identified a problem and you're like, Hey, give me like six months to fix it. If it doesn't work because the average couple, like you said, it can take six months to 12 yeah. months to conceive. Exactly. exactly. So that was December. So then June, like I said, I kicked my own butt. Like I was like very healthy, like the healthiest I'd been in a long time. I think I started tracking like my ovulation in February and of course, um, became psychotic about it. (laughs) Did you do like that? One thing I never got into was the temperature checks before I got up. You did. Yes. A lot of people do. Yes. I'm telling you, I did that up until we started IVF. And so it was like two years. I did that. Wow. And it was the craziest thing. Like, you're supposed to do it like right when you wake up, you can't even like get up before I did that. Yeah. So I tracked that, which honestly, I think when it comes to PCOS for, for me, I think that's more accurate because they say that the OPKs, like they don't necessarily work. I've had such a hard time with those two. Cause like they get dark and you're like, okay, I'm ovulating. And then the next day it's like a little bit darker. And you're like, I don't know. It's enough to make you crazy. Yeah. 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 And then you're like telling your husband, Hey, like, yeah. I, yeah I, oh, I, we've done that so many times. And then like two days later, I'm like, no, I'm actually ovulating now. He's like, are you, are you tricking me? Like what's going on? I know. So I did a combination of the the OPKs and the basal body temperature, which I actually, I, I learned a lot through to the body temperature. Cause you can tell like when your progesterone rises, like, cause your okay. temperature, mine would go from like 98.2 was like average. And then after I've ovulated, it would go to like 99, like first thing in the morning, Interesting, which is like the smallest amount. But like when you track it for so long, like it really is stays pretty consistent. And then this is the kind of off topic. So I'm just curious selfishly. So then if it stays high, does that mean you are pregnant? Yeah. So it, okay. it'll stay high for, for which it kind of, it really tricks your brain because again, it's, you feel psychotic, but so it stays high until you either get your period and you'll know, cause you'll, it'll, it'll drop like one degree. Like the, day I like, like the day before. Okay. Yeah. So I always knew like crap, like about to get my period or it's supposed to stay high if you're pregnant. So that doesn't help when you have like an, un, an irregular cycle. Yeah. My temperature has been high for seven, eight, nine days, definitely pregnant. And then surprised the next day you're not. Yeah. But I did, I learned a lot through tracking my temperature. Um, but I, at the time, like it seemed like I was ovulating every month. So I didn't think that that was an issue. And I think that that my diet and exercise helped a lot with that. Cause I don't know before if I was like, mm-hmm. I wasn't tracking any of that. Um, so went back to the doctor in June. She was super impressed by how much I had already done. Um, and even though I told her that it seemed like I was ovulating, she still wanted to start me on letrozole, um, which is kind of like the, the Clomid but like they say this letrozole is better if you have PCOS. Okay. I, 
they just suggest it. I can't, she, she described it. I just can't remember. Um, but so I did medicated cycles just with letrozole for three months. And again, like it seemed like I was ovulating every month. And letrozole, is that a pill or an injection? It's a pill. Oh, okay. So take, oh, let me see if I can remember. You take it on day like three through seven of your cycle. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember exactly, but then yeah. you go in on like day 21 and they'll do blood work to see if you ovulated. Okay. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure the first time I did it, they started me on the lowest dose and I didn't ovulate and then they increase it, it to like 0.5. And then I, I was ovulating on that dose. So we did that for three months. And then at the same appointment, we decided we had to order a semen analysis. And my husband was super excited about that. <laughs> did you listen to our last episode? I did. Yes. <laughs> we went all into that. Yeah, I know. And it's so funny because I mean, to, as far as, I mean, he's probably done like 12 of them at this point, but, or given a sample yeah. many times at this point, but for the first one, it was like, for me, I'm thinking this is just protocol, like standard procedure. Nothing's going to happen, but like we have to rule everything out. And it's the, one, it's the one thing that generally thing. they have to do. Yes, exactly. And so he wasn't super excited, but he went in and he did it and we got our results. And again, they just populate on like the online chart. So my doctor was on vacation that week, but she was so sweet. Like I sent her a message saying like, we're looking at this, but we don't really know what any of this means yeah even though she was on vacation she called us from home and like sat us down and like explained everything and said that they didn't they didn't look great and we knew that because it tells you like if something's too low or too high okay know exactly what it was saying yeah because don't they do like three different categories like morphology I can't even couldn't tell you yeah mobility motility morphology and then like general um count or count Yeah. yeah Yeah. And, and everything was low, like all everything. So we were a little bit shocked, but like, not like, didn't exact, didn't know what it meant yet. So she said, let's do another one just to make sure this isn't a fluke. Your husband was like, please no. He was like, great. Um, so he went in again a couple weeks later and did another one and it came back generally the same, like nothing really had changed. And so at this point I'm thinking, okay, it's fine. Like, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know what, what this means, but we'll, we'll figure it out. But I think for him, he was like overwhelmed with like guilt. Sure. Up until this point, we're thinking like, I'm the issue, like. And women can handle crossed our minds. I'm going to generalize that, but I feel like women can handle that a little bit better than like when oh, the male sure. feels like it's their fault. Yes. A hundred percent. So we're kind of just like shocked and also wondering like how and like why, but like, did your husband and you don't have to answer this, but like, did he want, have the desire for a child as much as you did at this point? At this point? No. Like you it, in your twenties, like, yeah, I mean, probably- he, of course, like if it happened, he would have been excited, but he wasn't putting as much like energy towards it. I asked because mine wasn't either. And he's six years older than me. So he was like mid thirties and I was y'all's age, like 28, 29. He's like, if it happens, it happens. Like, of course I want to be a dad, but things will work out. Yes. Yes. I'm like, no, we're going to have to make them work out. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and my husband's very like financially driven. And so He's always said he didn't want to start a family like until he felt financially stable and like, yeah, we are, but he, it's never like good enough for him. So at this and then, point, yeah. And then you're like spending the money to start the family and it just doesn't make sense in their mind. Yes. And also at this point, like for the most part, I was keeping up, up until, especially like after my PCOS, I kept most of that, like to myself, I wasn't really sharing it with like family. We weren't really telling anyone that we had been trying. Yeah. And so I think I went through a whole mental thing where like, I felt like I was, I was, I felt alone because I wasn't sharing it with anybody and nobody knew like what we were dealing with at home. Yeah. Especially after this new diagnosis, like we told my husband's parents pretty much right away. And they were also shocked, like to, to hear that we were dealing with male infertility too. And I remember my mother-in-law specifically, she was like, 
she almost had like a light bulb moment. She was like, wait, so like your thing and then now his thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Like this is not a great situation to be in. And it was super stressful. Like I didn't know where we were going to go. Just on a marriage. I think even the strongest of marriages and there's just always that doubt from the other partner of like, even when it's the female, they're like, am I, are you upset with me? And I, I, I understand that. Yeah. And we had one specific night and I can't, I can't remember if it was right after we, I think it was the same day or a couple days later after we found out after the second semen analysis, where like we both just like kind of broke down because it was like reality that this was going to take a lot of work now mm-hmm. and it wasn't going to be like I don't want to say it wasn't going to be like a fun journey but like it was going to be a lot of work and yeah. so it was just like both like and this was the first time I saw him really kind of emotionally react to the thought that it, like we may not have the family that we want yeah and so it was like, that was a breaking point, but also like the, sh- like the turnaround for our marriage. Cause it was like, up until this point, I felt like I was doing it alone mm-hmm. and like he was there of course, but like inside my head, like he didn't know what was. Yeah. Cause he wasn't actively getting the results actively. Do- I mean, you lost 20 yeah. pounds. Like that's, a, that's a every minute change in your life. Yeah. And it's like, you thinking you're thinking about being pregnant all day, every day. (laughs) And it's like, it's so mentally draining. So at that point, and I can't remember exactly when that was, but we both, like, I remember specifically, we're like crying on the bathroom floor, just like holding each other. Like it was so, it was, but, but that moment, like kind of strengthened our marriage. And like, up until that point, we hadn't really kind of had that, like, okay, we're going to do this. We have to do it together basically. Mm -hmm. So that was, when was that? That was June. Okay. So what happened between June and November? June 2020. So that was fun. June 2020. Yes. The fun and COVID, of course, you know, had already been started. So maybe that was it. So I think my doctor had said, let's get you set up with an RE. She kind of knew at this point that we would need some extra help. Um, So I think the first available appointment was November. I think that's why there was a little bit of a break there. So we had a virtual consultation with the reproductive endocrinologist here in Charlotte. And I love him. He's awesome. Um, And he kind of immediately like looked at our diagnoses and was like, okay, so basically IVF is your option at this point. And I had sort of already thought and known that, but just hearing him say like, you have PCOS and you have male factor infertility. And just to give you an idea, um, and I hope he's okay with me sharing. I, I asked him yesterday if he was fine with me sharing some of this, but a, like a normal, and he, he said he was, a normal um, like semen panel should show sperm, like the count to be in like the tens of millions. Mm-hmm. And his was showing like tens of thousands. Okay. And then the ones that he did have were slowly moving or not moving at all, or just not doing what they should have been. So mm-hmm. not looking good for us. Um, but he said, so IVF is your, is your option, but he still wanted my husband to meet with the urologist and just see if there was like a diagnosis for why he had was having issues with his sperm. So like I went ahead and got all the blood paneling done for IVF. Like I was ready to start it. I was like, 2021 is going to be our year and let's do it. So, and then he had a urology appointment in December of 2020. Uh, so he went in and like he said, it was very simple. Like the doctor basically like immediately just diagnosed him with a physical exam and said he had like a medium-sized varicose seal. Okay. But the way it was explained to us was that it's like varicose veins, like you get in your legs where they're just like enlarged and they can kind of cause pain and issues, um, but they're in your testicles. Mm-hmm. So they describe it as like a bag of worms. And what it does is it kind of blocks off the, oh, what's that called? It, it prevents the sperm from getting from the testicles to where they need to go. Yeah. So, and then not only that, but it's like heating up the testicles so that they're like dying in there as well. Okay. And so he described it to us that way and said that there was a surgical procedure that could be done to improve it, but that it wasn't 
like guaranteed. Mm -hmm. so I was like, he came home and told me that. I said, well, you're having surgery. <laughs> I was going to say any man that agrees to do that for his wife is a keeper. Yes, he was. And at first he was like, we need to discuss, you know, what our options are. And I said, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> and you're and that's huge. Like, again, I'm just going to generalize, but like women will just do it. We're like egg retrieval. Okay. Shots. Okay. And then for a man yeah. to be faced with that, they're like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think at this point we had shared a little bit more with like some of our closer friends and, um, I just remember his friends like joking with him about having the surgery, but to me, it wasn't funny, but yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I, humor, I guess they just cope with humor. <laughs> yes, I do too. I really do. Um, so he went in in February, 2021 and had, it was a really quick surgery. They just, um, go in and I think they just cut the veins or they burn them or whatever they do. I don't yeah. Know. But he said, the doctor said he had 14, which I guess is a lot that they- Sounds like a lot. Yeah. Um, but that they say after the surgery, there's like three to six months before you really can tell if it's going to work. Mm -hmm. So that was February. We decided let's wait the three to six months, just kind of keep doing what we're doing, seeing if anything happens. He went back in for another semen analysis. I think it was April or May. And- there was a good bit of improvement. Um, Gosh, the anxiety, I feel like just waiting to know if it worked. Yes, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, but then we kind of just decided at that point, like, let's just take the whole summer off. That'll give plenty of time to see if this is going to have done anything. Mm -hmm. um, so then we regrouped in September of 2021, went back to the RE. He had another semen analysis. Um, and I think it had improved to like, it, it was in like the lower millions, mm -hmm. still good. So I had another, like basically just had to start over with the RE because a year prior, a year, yeah. we already had all this plan and then all this other stuff happened. So we had another consultation with him and I said, like, I was, I was all down for doing IVF, but if he thought the IUI was, would possibly work for us that like we would want to try it sure I mean it's a like, significant cost yes, difference cheap cheaper and much less invasive and so I said you know I would I would will I'd be willing to try it at least a few times um so he actually like during the appointment he pulled up his most recent semen analysis and he said oh, okay so, and like he was like pleasantly surprised he was like wow these actually improved like much more than I was expecting so he was like, so I think the IUI could be an option. Um, so I was like, okay, great. Like, seems easy enough. Let's do it. He's like, we could start do one next month. And I was like, awesome. At this point, it's been over two years. And like, <laughs> we're just, it felt like we were just now like starting to do something. Seriously. Yeah. You guys had gone through so much. Up until this point, it was like discovery and like trying to fix things. And now you can like take some action. Now we can actually do something. Yeah. So it was, it was exciting. Meanwhile, we've got like three, four groups of friends who have like basically built their whole families up at this point. So that doesn't help. But, um, so September was when we had the consultation. October was our first IUI, um, just with letrozole and then a trigger shot. And those are, I mean, they're easy. Like you just have to take a couple hours out of the day and go in and hope for the best. Um, but our first one failed. And then after that, I was like, you know, I never had an HSG. So I know that like, we want to make sure that my fallopian tubes are open, like heaven forbid they're closed. And then that's just another thing we have to worry about, yeah. but I had never had one. And so I called the doctor and I said, I, I think before our next IUI, I want to have NHSG because otherwise we're doing all this for nothing. I'm just like listening to you advocate for yourself. Cause like <laughs> the average person is like, how would I have even known to ask for an HSG, but you'll know when you're in it. Well, yes. And also, like I said, I work in radiology and this is the funny part because so the clinic I go to is at the hospital that I work for. And so they sent me to like the outpatient imaging, which I went through school there. And like, I used to work with some of the people who work there. So I show up to my appointment and it's like, a PA that I used to work with. And oh my like, goodness. Like a tech that I used to work with. And I was like, Hey guys. Hey, <laughs> hey guys. You ready for this? Pregnant. Yeah. It was, and they were so sweet. Like, honestly, like some people I think would think that was weird, but 
I didn't work there anymore. Like yeah. I had a new job, but um, I was very comfortable because I knew them like personally. But luckily my tubes were open. Like it was, the HSG was pretty quick and simple, which I feel bad saying that because I've heard some people say that theirs are just. I have two. Mine was, I mean, I took like an Advil or two before and I thought it was like probably the simplest of all the stuff. But again, I've heard horror stories. I have two and, and I've seen them because that's what I used to do in my job. Was yeah. Like help so it was it was fine. It was, but it was just like another month. Like we couldn't do anything because we had to do the HSG. So then December, we had our second IUI. It was on December 23rd, which I just recently listened to your guys's um, first podcast. on yeah, Friday. That was like Amanda's December 23rd connection. So I was like, oh my gosh. But same thing. Like, I was like, this is obviously going to happen. Like it's a Christmas miracle. It's so cute. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, but that one failed too. But at this these, um, cause when you do an IUI, did you ever have an IUI? I did not because we could get pregnant, but we just couldn't keep them. That's right. That's right. Okay. So they, they give you this little piece of paper when you go in, cause they, your husband has to go in like two hours before, give a sample, they wash it, clean it and everything. And then they give you a piece of paper, like right before to tell you how many sperm you have basically. Okay. And so for both of ours, the first two that we did, they were like, I can't remember exactly, but it was like between two and 3 million which is good. They'll only do an IUI at my clinic. If you have at least 1 million. Okay. It's still like a super small amount. Like sounds like a lot, but it's still, like I said, most men. Yeah. My, my husband, gosh, my husband's 37 right now. So let's take it back two years. I mean, he was older. Um, and his his came back in like the two hundreds of millions. I was like, yeah, and I was like, great, but not, I hate you. That's crazy. (laughs) That's insane. I had no idea they had that. It was that much per sample. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that is insane to think about. Yeah. But so we had for, for the first two IUIs, we had between two and 3 million, which was good because it was more than we'd ever had before, but you know, still on the low end. So, and we knew, I knew, I specifically knew going in, like our chances were low, but we still wanted to try it. They're sure. like, I'm in trying it. Um, so the second one failed and then I was like, okay, we're going to do one more in January. And then like, we're moving on. Like, I know this is easy and like cheap, but I can't just do this for so many months, like mm-hmm. without any improvement in because it's still making the appointments and like scheduling out stuff I mean and it's quote unquote cheaper than IVF but it's by no means cheap I mean that's like a vacation a month right exactly and then you have to go in I can't remember exactly how many like monitoring I want to say you had to go in at least twice before because they want to make sure you actually have a follicle growing um so you have to go in like a couple times before your IUI to make sure Anyway, so then our third one was January and I was on my way. My husband had already gone, given his sample. He was at the hospital waiting for me. I had just left work. I was on my way and they call you if they're going to cancel it. So I was literally on the interstate, like thinking, okay, they haven't called me yet. So we must be good. And then you just had two normal ones. Yes, exactly. So they called and said, unfortunately, like we're going to have to cancel and, and you had I, already done the trigger. Had you done the trigger shot? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they call you like immediately before my appointment was at like one o'clock and they called me at like 1230. So I pulled over. I was luckily I hadn't gotten too far up the interstate, but I pulled over and just like started crying. I was in like a church parking lot and I was just crying. And I called my husband and I was like, you can come home. Like, and he was so confused. He was like, what? I was like, just come home. Like, I'll explain it when you get here. Like, I just, I can't talk about it right now. Yeah. And I think for me at that point, it was like, I wasn't necessarily so upset because I don't, I don't really know. I think it was just like, we weren't given the opportunity to try the first two IUIs, like failing. That was hard. But this time it was like, we didn't even get to the point where we could try. You know? Do you still have to pay for it? Um, so we didn't have to pay for the procedure. I think we had to pay for like the monitoring appointments and probably like the sperm wash. Or yeah. I don't really remember exactly. Luckily I have amazing fertility insurance. That's, um, that's rare. Oh so, yeah, I know it really is. And so we've been very lucky in that aspect, but yeah. So they just basically say it's canceled. Sorry. And like, that's kind of it. There's not really anything Jeez. after that. And I didn't, and they, they didn't tell me exactly 
they I knew it was because of the sperm, but they didn't give us the exact like number, but it, ha- it had to have been under 1 million. And so you're kind of left with like, okay, I've triggered, which means like you're going to release all of these eggs. Yes. So they do say go home and still have intercourse and yeah. you know, maybe a miracle will happen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So then February, 2022. This I year. Turned, Crazy. Yes. So I turned 30 in February and I was like, okay, well, like, it's been about three years now. Uh, I'm 30 and I guess we're going to do IVF. <laughs> so we had another consultation and my husband was, he was leery about IVF mostly because of the financial aspect. But when we like learned of all of our insurance coverage, like he felt better after that. But we also were told because of the PCOS, um, we would probably have a pretty good chance of getting all of the embryos we needed, like to create our whole family in just one cycle. Because technically like, and tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but because you had more eggs during a cycle, especially through IVF, they just have a higher number during the retrieval. Is that right? Yeah, girl. Wait till okay. I get it. <laughs> I know I, I had a, one friend who actually, she, they, her husband, I don't even go into it, but she got like 40 some eggs. I was like, what the heck? And I was like, I think you have PCOS. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so we knew, we knew that he was like, he said at that appointment, he expected to get at least 20 to 30 eggs from me Wow. When retrieval. And I was like, okay, awesome. Like that sounds great. Like we want to do one cycle. Awesome. Um, so that was February. I like went back in, did all the labs again. Um, went ahead and had the mock transfer, the saline sonogram. That was all easy. Like I've had no issues with, with any of that. Thank goodness. Um, and then March is when I started all the medications, mm-hmm. like two to three injections a day. Um, and then I got like super bloated and I was just like so miserable, but I think I only stemmed for like 10, I think it was about 10 days. Um, so it wasn't bad. And it's because like, he knew that I was going to have no issue Yeah, getting follicles. Um, he also apparently had me on like a pretty low dose protocol, which I was kind of shocked by. Well, so I met with the pharmacist and I had like 12 boxes of things and she was like, Oh, this is really like a really low protocol, like very small. And I said, huh? <laughs> Isn't that so overwhelming when you get yeah. all of the stuff you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. They, they, I come home with like a whole box of medicine. I got like a n- needle disposal bucket mm-hmm. or whatever. I remember I had to order like five extra because my protocol was intense, but was it? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm very lucky, I guess, in that aspect, but she did. She said, yeah, yours, yours is not bad at all. And I was like, what? She said, oh, trust me. Like I've seen some people come home with like 40 boxes of medication. Gosh. I mean, anything's, but anytime you have to give yourself even just one shot a day, that's really hard. Yeah. I know ours was like, we, we were up to six a day. Like they put us on, I know it didn't work, <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, it, it's rough. And I, I think I had gone into I, the IVF, like planning that my husband would give me the injections, but it turned out that I just gave them to myself. I was like, you know, That's like funny. They're, they're all in your stomach and like, it was easy and they're tiny little needles. Yeah. I mean, if you hate needles. Any needle is, is bad, but I, for me, I didn't have an issue with it. And I was, that's good. Then you don't have to coordinate your schedules and like, you're just, you're just doing it. Yeah. Cause I, a lot of times I would be up and out of the house before he'd even get up. So I would just like yeah. do it on the way out the door. Sure. Um, and then of course with all the stim medications is when you go into the doctor's office, like, I feel like I was there every other day mm-hmm. for, That's what I was going to say, and I haven't done it in like a year, but I'm like, I feel like it was there every other day. Yes. I was there every other day. And unfortunately, so I used to work at the building where my doctor's office is, which would have been super convenient. But in February, right when we started, no, February, 2021, I moved to Concord. So okay. I'm now like 25 minutes from yeah. Charlotte. <laughs> so I have to drive to Charlotte and then 25 minutes back to, towards like, so it was a little bit more inconvenient than it would have been, but it was fine. I just make really early appointments and I'm still able to get to work on time. But, um, so yeah, I was there every other, I mean, the, the week of my retrieval, I was there three days in a row. Four, no, four days in a row. 
And were you ever, cause I mean, they, they don't do the same as IUI, but they, they're like, we're either going to, they don't tell you when your retrieval is going to be until like, then like the 20, day. yeah, like the day before. Yeah. Were you yeah. a little anxious from like what had just happened or you, you felt good. Cause you had a, a good amount of follicles. Yeah, I felt, I felt okay about it. I was just worried about the amount of follicles I had. <laughs> so, so I'm doing monitoring where you have your ultrasound and your lab work, you know, mm-hmm. every other day they're checking how many follicles they see growing. I think my first one, they were like, oh, there's like 25, 27. I was like, okay. And then I went back two days later and I was like, oh, there's like 32 or 34. That's insane. Yeah. So then I went back, I think the following day. And I think the final count before my retrieval was like 38. And they're like, they were like, girl, are you okay? Like, do you feel okay? When you said you got bloated. Yeah. I bet you did. Yeah. I was, I was very bloated. My husband even like said after my retrieval, he was like, you, your stomach was like insanely large. (laughs) I was like, thanks. But so day of retrieval, we went in on April 11th and had my egg retrieval. It like went no issues. 42 eggs were retrieved. (laughs) Wow. That's, I mean, that's like in the, I mean, that's like what the top 5%. It's gotta be, I don't know. Well, I didn't mention this before, but I'm going to say this number and you're going to be like, holy crap. My AMH in actually I wrote it down earlier. My AMH in December of 2020 was 8.5. That's like a dream. I know. That's a well, at the time when I, when I was told that I was like, I didn't know what that meant, but my doctor said, I tell people who have an AMH of five that that's high. Yeah. So, I see it's a dream coming from somebody that had it low. And you know, like, like, oh, I know. And that's why I was like, when I say this, you're going to like want to kill me. Yeah. But, and then I had it tested again in February of 2022 and it was still like 6.4. So that was why my protocol, he kept it like super okay. light because he knew I was like very high risk to like overstimulate. And so like somebody in their thirties, what is like really great would be like 2.53. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So he was good in that aspect (laughs) and you already knew you had PCOS. So yes, it wasn't shocking. Yes. Yeah. So 42 eggs. Um, when I woke up and they told me that I was like, holy crap. Um, and then they 13 were not mature. So they just threw those out. And then 29, we did, obviously we used ICSI cause I was like, I'm not putting anything up to chance, like with the sperm anymore. Like Will you explain that to listeners. Cause that was like the biggest learning curve for me when I, when we got to that point, we did the same thing. Yeah. So you have the option with IVF to either just retrieve your eggs and kind of put them in the same space as the sperm and hope that they find each other. Or you can go in and like, they inject the sperm directly into your egg. So like, it's, it's like one sperm to one egg, right? They like yeah. say, hey, we're picking this sperm and we're going to put it in this yeah. dish or whatever. Yeah. Right? Which is great when you're pretty sure that your problem is that your sperm can't find your egg. So yeah. <laughs> like we can just completely make sure that the sperm finds the egg and whatever happens from there happens. So we did 29, um, 21 of them fertilized. So like, you know, you're getting your calls like every other day. And like numbers are staying good. I'm like, okay, like things are great. And then by day five, we had nine blastocysts. Um, and then day six, we had three more. So we had 12 embryos, which That's is amazing. Beautiful. Oh and we got a call about that on Easter Sunday this year. So oh I was like, God. this is like, finally, this is happening. Like I felt like, peace. yes, we had 12, like a perfect little dozen. Yeah. It just makes it feel like, I feel like it makes it feel like IVF was like, quote unquote, worth it when you get something like that. 100%. Yeah. It like in, like I said, I feel guilty saying some parts of my story because I know that there are women who like would die for even like two embryos. So like the fact that we got 12, I was like, okay, like we are going to be okay. So that was April. Um, and then he wanted to, my doctor wanted me to wait because um, I was pretty high risk for developing OHSS, which is mm-hmm. over hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, and I had actually had a friend who had had it and she said it was awful. Um, so I took that whole week off of work after my egg retrieval and like, I'm so glad I did because I was, I was pretty sore. Like it's hard to describe how you feel after an egg retrieval, but I was just like 
uncomfortable for about like three or four days. I think that's the biggest thing when people would ask like, well, how did you feel? And I'm like, well, I got nine eggs. Like it's so totally different than when somebody got 40 or even just 20 because it's your body. It, you are only carrying that much. Yes, exactly. So I think because my ovaries were the size of grapefruits at the time and like they needed time to kind of shrink back down. So he wanted us to wait, um, until obviously until the following month. And we already knew we were going to do a frozen transfer, um, because of that, like he yeah. fresh transfer was never an option for this, for us. Um, so May 11th was our first embryo transfer and, um, our protocol for transfer frozen transfer is pretty simple too. We just started on estrogen. I did the pills and the patches. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Cause I've heard so many things about the, uh, what's it called? I don't know. I did the pills. You did the pills. What is it? Oh, the suppository of estrogen. Yes. (laughs) I know. I've heard so many horror stories. So I did pills and patches and then we started progesterone shots like a few days before the transfer. Okay. So did you give yourself the progesterone shots or so those are the ones that I cannot do myself because they in- they're interesting. I don't want to like scare anybody. But yeah, I- no. Well more, it's more like the location that you have to do them. It's yeah, like you have to like fully twist and you're trying to relax, but then you can't relax if you're doing it yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I make my husband do those because I just Yeah. I've heard the auto injector is good, but that just like, I feel like it's like piercing your ear. One of those things that pierces your ear. It just freaks you out. Yes. Yes. So we start on progesterone. Um, no issues with that. We go in for our first transfer and we were only ever given the option to transfer one. And I don't know, even still to this day, like if it's my clinic's protocol or if it was just my doctor didn't feel comfortable with me. Like I still need to ask that question. Yeah, Our clinic's protocol. Cause I look, we had this on another podcast and I went back and looked, you have to be over 35 to transfer to, or you have to, okay. I looked and now I don't remember. I think it was like, you have to have like either diminished ovarian. It was three things that I didn't qualify for. Right. I know yeah. people do it all the time. No. And I'm like, and I have nine embryos. Like, why can't I put two in? But no. So we were only given the option to do one, which was fine. Um, but we get there and my doctor comes in like beforehand and he's like, talk, he brings us our picture and I'm like, Oh, like, it's so cute <laughs> I know that we had one embryo. So they actually had to thaw two because the first one didn't survive the thaw, which is like super rare. It's super and- rare. And it's kind of a nightmare. Yeah. And so we're like, what? Like we were shocked by that because first of all, we thought that we would get a call if something like that happened, but they didn't call us. And they t- tell you like when you're in on the table, pretty much. Yeah. Like we were, I was about to roll in to yeah. do it. Um, so we were kind of like shocked by that because we wouldn't like, why wouldn't it survive? Like, what is the reason? Cause I know it's super rare that that happens. Um, but also like, okay, fine. Like we have, we have more, so it's okay. So they thought in a second one and it was fine and then transferred it. Um, so that was May 11th. Now, did you know the gender that you were trying? Oh, that was the other thing. So we, my doctor suggested like no testing. Like he said, we didn't need to do any genetic testing. Yes. And still to this day, I'm like, should we do genetic testing? But I don't know. know. He said with our age and with our, like, we're fairly healthy. Like he didn't think it was necessary. And you have so many, you know? Yeah. And so we didn't test anything. And I'm just like, going by the grace of God that like, it's okay. Yeah. But I don't know. I really don't even still, I don't know. Um, so I said, I'm going to take a pregnancy test, like before our beta, because I'm crazy. And like, I don't well, want, to- I think the people that don't do it are crazy. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I think my, oh, main there? Reason, my main reason was that my beta was going to be like Friday morning. And then I would go to work and then they would like call while I was at work. And you would see it at work again. Yeah. And I just wanted to know beforehand. So I, we took, I was like anxious all week. I felt like a little bit of cramping here and there, but like was trying not to psych myself up. Um, so I took my, a pregnancy test on Wednesday, a week later. And up until this point, like I just stopped taking tests before this because I would like, rather get my period than see a negative test yeah and, like, to tell me that I wasn't pregnant so sure. like I just stopped taking so this is the first time I've taken a pregnancy test in a long time and I had the most anxiety about it 
Um, but like I, I, so I took a digital and then I took like one of those just cheap, like Amazon ones and I like tucked him away and I went and got Dylan and I was like, okay, we're going to open these like at the same time. Um, and then I took a video because I said, if this is positive, like I'm going to want to keep it. And even if it's negative, like it might still be okay. But so he like, didn't even give me the chance to like pull out, start the camera before he pulls out the positive test. And it says, it says pregnant. Dang. So that's 20, at least a bit of 25. Yeah. And so, and then I pulled out the cheap one and it was like super light, like very faint, but like. It didn't matter because it was there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like in total shock because this is the first time I've ever seen a positive pregnancy test ever. And you're like, well, okay, it was IVF. It's great. Yeah. And I'm like, thank God, like this finally happened. Like, and I was like bawling for probably like five minutes and he's just like, cool. I think we were both in shock. Like I was in shock. So that was May 18th. I went in for my first beta on Friday, two days after that. And it was 50. Okay. And that's like alarmingly low in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, like you said, anything over 25 is positive. Technically. To me, I'm like, man, 50 for first beta is good. And if it was two days apart, it had doubled, but that's like me being right. psycho and having had reoccurrent pregnancies. Right. So my thought and, and up to this point, I had been watching like these girls on TikTok who were like having their transfers like a couple weeks before me and they're showing their betas and their first one was like 300. Sure. So when I saw 50, I was like, okay, like, it's fine. Like, I'm, this is my first time doing any of this. So like, I'm not, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. But I did know that like, they say they want it to be at least like a hundred more. Yeah. Last one. Yeah. So I go in two days later and it had rised, risen to 90. And so I was like, still like, okay. And I was, I had been taking tests at home, like just the cheap ones and they weren't, the line wasn't getting any darker but like it was still positive. So and it wasn't getting lighter. Yeah. It wasn't getting lighter. Yeah. So I was like, all right, we're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> so then I go in on, it must've been three days later. Cause it was the weekend mm-hmm. and it had dropped down to 52 oh. and I was at work. This is like why I hate going to work sometimes, but like no. I was at work. I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't good. My husband and I would actually had the conversation over the weekend. We were like, we're kind of just like in that moment, we're just waiting for the other foot to drop because we haven't had like, yeah. And you have, I feel like you have those conversations like 90%, like, okay, everything, like, I don't know. You have those conversations like, okay, I need to be prepared and I want to prepare my heart, but then deep, deep down, you don't really think it's going to happen. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And that's kind of where we were at. We were like, it was like, I was saying out loud, like I'm pregnant, but like, I hadn't fully accepted yet. Like mm-hmm. that I was. So I, of course, like an idiot, like saw my results online and looked at it and it was 52. And I was like, and I, so I was in the middle of like working. So it was like 10, it was like nine, 1030 that morning. I was like, just hold it together for like an hour. And then you, you like, you can go home after that. Yeah. Um, so they, usually the nurse would call me with my beta results around like 10, 30, 11. And she didn't call me at that time. And I had heard on a podcast, I don't remember if it was yours or another one, but maybe, someone maybe. had said that normally if it's like good news, they'll call you earlier in the day and they save the bad news for later. Yeah. That happened to me every time. Yes. I, was like, I know it's back. I, I know that you have it. Just call me. Right. Yes. So she called me at like 1130. And she's like, did you get to look at your results? And I'm like, yes. And at this point, like I'm crying, like back in my office, like hiding from everybody. Like there was only one person in my office who knew that I was pregnant. And I'm thankful that she knew because like she was there, like when I needed someone. So I was like, just losing it on the phone. I feel so bad for those nurses who have to call like these emotional women and like I know. They just give them bad news all day long. And then all they can say is like, I'm so sorry. I know. So I'm like bawling and she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, you know, what can you do? So I left work. I went home. I texted my husband, like he, cause he, he knew we were waiting for these results. Like I told him before that I wasn't like super confident in the pregnancy. And like, I was just worried. And so he texted me, he's like, did you get your results yet? And then finally I, texted him. He was, he works. I think he was, yeah, he was working from home that day and he was like in a meeting. I texted him and told him and he was like, he said he literally like was in his meeting and he just like, 
closed out and left. Yeah. Yeah. So I got home and we both just like cried on the couch for the whole day. And it was just, it was really, really rough. And unfortunately, like that same time I had three of my very best friends, like closest friends announce their pregnancies to me. Like so hard. One was like the week before our transfer. One was the week of our transfer. And then one was two days after we found out that we lost the pregnancy. That's so hard. It was it was like the, that's been the hardest part. And like, one of them is like my next door neighbor and I love her so much, but I'm like, see her all the time too. Watching her, yes. I see her all the time. Like watching her, like get her nursery ready and like ordering things for a baby. And I'm like, it's, it's really, really hard. hard. So it is hard to not be triggered by that. Cause you still love these people, but like you have to protect your heart. Completely. Absolutely. Like I, yeah, I, we're just now having our baby shower next weekend. And like, when I even sent the invites, I specifically like, was like, please, I would rather you not come. And, and I would, it would make me happier for you not to come knowing that if you were going to come, it was going to hurt. And I had several of my really close friends say no. And thankfully I've been through it. So I get it. I did the same thing. Like I couldn't go. Yeah. And it's also so hard being that person that like, people know you're struggling and they know what you're going through. And they, it's like, they think about you when they, they know they have to tell you that they're pregnant, but like you're, you know, that you're the person that like, they don't really want to tell a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like, it's so hard because like, obviously like don't keep that from me, but like, I don't know. It's just, especially after like having a failed or a chemical pregnancy, it's like, it's been even harder. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Like, so after that, I took myself like off of social media for like two weeks. I kind of just like, I don't, I don't really know. I was in a really bad spot. Like, I don't know. I mean, I was just, it was hard. It was really hard. And I didn't really like talk to a whole lot of people. Like I told my mom right away. Um, and she was obviously very disappointed, but the sad thing was, so that was May, that was like May 22nd. And then that weekend was Memorial day. And we had planned on all of our parents like coming over and we were, I of course like already ordered everything to tell people. I mean, I only had a, like I was pregnant for a week. Girl, I, I did the same thing. <laughs> like I was like ready to tell everyone, like it was finally happening. And then, you know, three days before I couldn't. So that really, really, really sucked. So that was May of this year. Um, and then I regrouped, got myself together. And then June, they wanted to, they wanted to wait a month to do another transfer. So I went in in June and just had like a saline sonogram. They wanted to make sure that there was no cysts or polyps or anything like left in the uterus before another transfer. Um, and there wasn't, everything looked fine. So then we started our protocol again on July 22nd, which was just last week, not a week ago. Yeah. Um, and then we just had our second transfer on what is today? Sunday. We just had it on Wednesday this last week. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Congratulations on that. So I'm like currently in like, you know, the dreaded two week, nine day wait, whatever it actually is, but I'm feeling a lot more positive this time. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. What a journey. I'm like really, really hopeful that that first pregnancy just prepped your body and said like, clearly it took it. I'm sure your physicians told you this. They're like, well, it can implant. So I'm hoping that this is it for you guys. Yeah, me too. And, and so you go in for like your lining check before your transfer. And this time my lining was like super thick. Okay. I'm also hoping that that is gonna be be helpful I've also heard and this is just me I'm not from a clinical perspective but I've also really heard like after chemical pregnancies the chance of a reoccurrent pregnancy is really high I've heard that too so I'm so hopeful for you guys (laughs) I know we follow you on Instagram so I will I'm I'm sure you won't share immediately but we'll check in or you reach out to us if you feel comfortable definitely will yeah and I can give an update hopefully a good one yeah. I mean, it's your time. You guys freaking deserve it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Is there anything else? I mean, I feel like that was like, we all want to, we should have like recorded next week. <laughs> Not like you had been ready. Cause when you said you had, you know, the miscarriage in May, I'm like, that was just two months ago. No. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I'm glad we did it now. Yeah. Cause I think if we had waited, I wouldn't have either want to wanted to say anything if it was positive or like 
then absolutely and ready to say it if it was negative. So yeah. like where I'm at now, like it feels okay. Perfect. Perfect. Good. <laughs> um, was there anything else you want to share with listeners? This was super, super informative. I think, especially talking about male factor and fertility and just like your husband's feelings. That was, I don't really don't think we've gone into that at all. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, I feel like so many people talk about how to advocate for yourself in the beginning, because it's so normal for a doctor to say, oh, wait a year and come back. And that's something that I think needs to change in healthcare in general. But I think it's also important to just go ahead and get both of you like checked out in the beginning. It's, it'll save you so much stress and heartache and time. Mm-hmm. And like in the infertility world, for some reason, we're like all attached to time. And we yeah. think that we're just wasting time all the time, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> just go ahead and like do it all in the beginning. Like your husband's going to hate it, but just get it out of the way. And that way, you know, absolutely. And they're going to do it. They're going to end up doing it anyways. So <laughs> exactly. go for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jessica. I am, we are praying for you, hoping for you. I just, uh, I, I can't wait to hear some sort of update.